followers, but we definitely set the tone. You know, the second people arrive, you know, music goes a long way. And I've got a oh, cool race playlist that, you know, turns Los Angeles into a mosh pit. At- well, help me turn the turning. Well, help me get it right. Welcome, welcome, everyone, to the Trail Life Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stoner, and in today's episode of the Trail Life, I am taking a step away from the trail and into the very energetic, very talkative world of race announcing. I am speaking with my next guest, who's not only the most sought-after race announcer in the country, but also a fitness professional, business owner, public speaker, TV personality, and now author of her new book, My Noisy Cancer Comeback. Please welcome Fitz Kohler. Jeff and all the trail runners. Yeah. So I, I'm a little tired, uh, actually already talking about all, <laughs> of, all your, all your accolades and your, and your titles and stuff. So excuse me while I wipe my brow really fast, but, uh, <laughs> well, you know what, Jeff, it's funny. I mean, I do have a, a variety of credentials, but really I'm a one trick pony. I do a lot of things that allow me to do one thing, which is help folks live better and longer by making fitness understandable, attainable, and fun. So if you look through that resume, it's really not as diverse as it seems. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, so there's one question that I want to ask, and I ask a lot of uh, the race professionals that I have on the podcast is 2020 is such a, a shit year, right? Like, yep. <laughs> let's just throw it away, right? Um, so I've always kind of, I find it interesting uh, with everybody who's in that works in the industry. Like, what have you What's your 2020 been like uh, without the races? And what have you done to pivot not only personally, but also in your race, per, like your race profession? Yeah. So 2020, a bit of a roller coaster as well. I mean, on the bright side, I finished up treatment. I beat cancer. I became in remission. And so in the scope of things, 2020 is a hell of a lot easier than 2019 was because in 2019, (laughs) I was being dragged behind a horse. But on the flip side, the thing that I think one of the major factors that allowed me to survive and allowed me to do cancer with a smile on my face many days was the running community. And so to have that ripped away has been really tough. I miss my events. I miss my colleagues. I miss my athletes so much. And I, I use the term my because I take full ownership. I love the people that show up at our events and I just adore them. I miss them. I never thought cancer was unfair ever. Once did I look in the mirror and say, why me? But I think this COVID crap is unfair. I want our industry back and I want our events now. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I say that that same thing to everybody. I, I, you know, being a race director, that's, uh, and being in the trail community, especially with smaller events, I have a chance to actually know, a lot of the people that run our races, right? And so it's it's recognizing those faces every single event and and being able to say hello and greet them at the finish line and and talk to them about hey their personal lives and what's going on with their family. So I'm right there with you. I totally miss the community aspect of it and the just the interaction with everybody. Yeah, and you know the way I do it, the way my partner Rudy and I do it, um, even the gargantuan events we host, Los Angeles Marathon, Big Sur, Buffalo, Philadelphia. I feel like a very personal connection with our athletes. And it's funny, I'll have somebody who runs through my start line I've never seen before, but when he or she comes to the finish, I know exactly who they are. I know exactly (laughs) what they look like, what they were wearing at the start. I know exactly what clothes they discarded along the way. And uh, yeah, I feel like it's one big family and I do. So here's the deal. I've not announced a trail race. I've announced obstacle course races and mud runs, et cetera, but I'm a trail runner. And so my favorite race I ever did was a trail race. It's here in Gainesville, Florida called the trail of pain. And I just love being in the woods. I love dirt. I I grew up here in Florida. So I'm, 
I'm about 67% redneck. And <laughs> you know, the thing you don't get in a, a running event or a road race is the distraction. And so for me, running through the woods, the fact that I have to always keep an eye out for alligators and snakes um, keeps <laughs> my mind off of calories burned or my knee pain or whatever. So you know, I'm, I'm a trail runner. Oh yeah. That's, that's something that we don't have to deal with here in California or even Colorado and our races there is, <laughs> is alligators. So I can only imagine uh, adding into that. We, um, the only thing that we've ever really had to deal with, which I, I think is really cool. And I've, I've said this before is we do a race up in the mountains up at by winter park area at the YMCA of the Rockies. And every single year at the race, it's in September, we see uh, one or two moose oh. and, they're, and they're always poking their heads out uh, on the trail there, they'll see the runners coming by. We've actually had a moose run parallel with the runners on the trail. Oh, fun. And so it's kind of one of those really cool things to see, but at the same time, it's so intimidating because you're like, okay, if this moose decides to veer towards my direction, what, like how, how fast can I get out of the way type of thing? Right. So it's well, not fast enough, probably, yeah, but exactly. this is where I would become your problem athlete is because I would go, ah, most and I would run straight <laughs> to give it a hug. So, <laughs> um, one of the coolest things that uh, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you started up before the race announcing was uh, this program called the Morning Mile. Yes, sir. I, I would love to hear more about that and how this started and how, like, how big it's, it's expanded now. But did the Morning Mile get affected by the coronavirus and and the school shutdowns and all that stuff? It has. It has. And so um, I guess I'll go in reverse. I'll first start telling what the Morning Mile is, and then I'll tell how I got it, how I created it and where it is now. So Morning Mile is a B4 school walking running program where the schools that are implementing the program give 30 minutes before school for kids to show up and walk as slow as they want, run as fast as they want. It's a window. They, they do not have to be there on time. There's no coaching, no choreography, no instruction whatsoever. We play music. The kids do as many laps as they choose. Um, we keep track of those laps in a, a very simple, stupid fashion. And then we provide tremendous rewards. And uh, where there are other running programs, some are some have a goal like 26.2 miles. And hooray for that. That's fine. And some have 100 as a goal. And I say again, hooray for that. That's great. I got no problem with that. However, morning milers, man, we just unleash these kids. We make it welcoming, fun, rewarding, unleash them. Our morning milers often do six, 700 miles in a school year. And I'm talking about second graders, you know, we're in preschool through high school and the program's just a heck of a lot of fun. I have it in over 400 schools around the world. That's four different countries. The majority of the programs are in the United States, but It definitely is the best thing I've ever done. And what I'm so proud of is between 67 and 95% of the student body participates throughout the year. So again, it's totally voluntary. Nobody's, Nobody's required, but they find it so fun. Parents come out, faculty comes out. It's a y'all come, everyone's invited. And we have some elementary school families where 25,000 plus miles are being run throughout the year. Um, You know, there are some programs that say only girls or only boys or only this or only that. And instead, I take the big picture approach and I say, I want absolutely everybody moving, everyone we can get our hands on to come out and get some fresh air, get some exercise, do it. We got the bus drivers participating and the principals. And, you know, I have a big picture, mass impact view of fitness. That's who I am. I'm all about mass impact. So the morning mile really accomplishes that. The way I got it started was, I believe it was 2009. My kids were five, three and five. It was something like that. Anyways, they had some friends that were also starting kindergarten the same year my daughter was. And those kids at the other schools were running before school. And I had some mommy friends kept saying, oh, Aiden is running before school. And, you know, Susie's running before school. And I kept thinking, gosh, I wish my kids could do that. I wish my kids could do that. I kept saying it, saying, and then the light bulb went off and I thought, I wish all kids could do that. That, That's genius. You know, when you start your day in an active way, your brain turns on, you behave better, you vent that stress. You know, there's so many health benefits, especially starting your day that way. And so then I decided, okay, let me go to these other schools and find out what they're doing. I told them, I said, hey, I want to create something duplicatable. Can you share your best practices? So I took theirs, I added my own. I got some funding from a local corporation because there was some quit 
equipment I wanted to include. And um, it's just grown and grown and grown since then. And we have sponsors that are mom and pop bakery. And we've had Under Armour sponsor, I think, 50 schools and hospital associations. And, you know, uh, the nice thing is, is we have almost no sponsors who sponsor one school and don't come back to sponsor another. So everyone really feels happy with the program. And, you know, one day when it is my time and I do qualify for a tombstone, I want Morning Mile on it. (laughs) <laughs> so does the do you gear towards like the elementary school and, and younger or does it go into like the high school too or no? preschool through high school but I tell you what elementary school parents are a lot more involved and and I can tell you my two kids are in high school now and I'm given the stiff arm by both the school and my stu- my kids you know they're like leave us alone you know elementary school parents tend to hover a little more and they're highly enthusiastic so I, I do have more elementary schools participating simply because the parental enthusiasm is a lot greater they're the ones who reach out and say hey how do we get this program at my school I send them the sponsorship package they go wrangle us sponsor and then either a parent or someone from the school faculty um, uh, monitors the program every morning. Again, it's a skillless job because there's no coaching or skills. They just, yeah. someone needs to be there to observe. And uh, yeah, so we're, we're definitely more elementary schools, but we're equally successful in, in the other age groups. So how did, uh, you mentioned that they they reach out and ask if they can get it into involved in their school. How did, I assume that you, uh, being in Gainesville, you started with the Gainesville group, right? And it kind of expanded into Florida. But so how does somebody in Georgia or, you know, somewhere on the East Coast, how did they get in contact with you? And, and how did, how did you kind of evolve that program into somebody in another state? And and to expand on that question, how does somebody overseas into their program over Uh, there? So I've got all the answers for that. (laughs) And I've really made it easy. So I don't personally have to show up at any of these schools to make it happen. They can do it themselves. I've created a program guidebook, which gives you all the know-how. All the equipment is shipped to each school. But um, as soon as I created the program, I had the wherewithal to create morningmile.com. And what's interesting is uh, AvMed Health Plan, that's the insurance company who sponsored 42 programs, because that's exactly how many schools were in our county, Alachua County, Florida. That's where home of the Gators go Gators. And um, so I put out, I I met with the superintendent and the uh, director of physical education for the county. And I said, Hey, we got this program. It's fully funded. Schools want to participate, no charge. They can just reach out and we'll get them equipped. And so 17 schools took me up on that offer and I I supplied those 17 schools. We got started and then I had 25 left. So I went back to AvMed and said, hey, you're a statewide insurance company. Do you mind if I spread these other 25 programs throughout the state? They said, absolutely not. So the director of Florida's physical education department got wind of this and I was sitting in a movie theater with my kids watching some sort of animated flick. And all of a sudden my phone starts beep, beep, beep. (laughs) The director of education had emailed every school in the state and said, Hey, there's these free morning mile programs. It's an awesome, you know, exercise program, blah, blah, blah. And so then I had two, 300 schools that were saying, yes, we want to participate. Please give us those programs. And so now I had, the opposite problem. I, I, I was able to disseminate those next 25 programs, but now I had to try and find sponsors. So it's very much always the cart behind the horse or chicken and egg type thing is sometimes I have all these schools who really want to participate and we're hunting for businesses or generalist individuals who want to grant those programs and they get advertising benefits. So it's a marketing expense. You know, you sponsor a school in your area, you get a big banner on their school fence, Morning Mile brought to you by you know, attorney Smith or Bob's plumbing or Under Armour, whatever it may be. Uh, Yeah. So sometimes I have a lot of schools wishing for a sponsor and we're doing that work. And then sometimes a sponsor comes out and says, Hey, can you get me 50 schools in Portland or whatever? And then I have to just try and find schools in Portland that want to participate. Yeah. I I don't have a lot of boring days here. (laughs) (laughs) So again, how, how does this now be affected by what's going on with the virus and the school shutdowns? Yeah. Thank you. So um, it's interesting. You they've, they've shut down schools. So the schools that have no 
school, don't have the morning mile. And then um, some will say, hey, you can come to school, but no exercise, no PE, no sports, which boggles my brain because as an actual fit, health and fitness expert, everybody knows that the way to build a strong immune system would be to exercise and eat healthy food and get outside and get fresh air. So yeah, it's, it's disappointing and frustrating. Um, I've learned the hard way to control the things I can, try to get past the things I can't. So the schools that are going, we're, you know, rallying behind them and supporting them. And I'm hoping the other schools will see the light soon because uh, kids need exercise, right? Definitely. Yeah, I was talking to uh, my nephew over the holiday and and I was asking him how, you know, how the online learning was going. And I asked him because he said something about physical education class. And I was like, well, wait a second, what are you, what are you doing as a Zoom class, you know, how's that work? And they're like, oh yeah, they just uh, have us do calisthenics in our own house. And he's like, half the time you could just, if you got a desk there, you could just get underneath your desk and just stay there and just pretend <laughs> like you're doing pushups. And I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Like, really? <laughs> so, so it's, it's tough. Like, and I, I feel really bad. I mean, and, and physical education programs have kind of gone by the wayside, you know, over the last five or six years anyway. Right. So to now have this happening, it makes it even worse for the kids, you know, to get some physical education and in the school system. So I I believe it's very, very short-sighted by our leadership. And, you know, what they say, the cure cannot be worse than the disease. And I do believe their cures are far worse than the disease. You know, there's a thing called the COVID-19, all the people who stopped exercising, stopped going to the gym, stopped racing, and they started ordering takeout every day. And, um, yeah, there's the the fallout from these bad decisions is going to be tremendous, lethal to many cases. I mean, cancer diagnosis is off the hook because in March and April, when they stopped annual de- detections, you know, we call them elective procedures. Uh, Mammogram is not elective. Colonoscopy is not elective. It's preventative. And it's, yep. you know, all those cases that existed in March and April that weren't diagnosed as stage one or two will now be um, discovered as stage three or four nightmares. So yeah, exercise counts, the gym counts, your races, my races, they all count. You know, we are, we are the, um, the champions of a healthy society. So, you know, I, I believe some of, there's a handful of governors in the United States that will be brought out in front of a firing squad (laughs) at some point. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I want to get into, uh, so you were a fitness professional, yes. uh, are you, are you still, I am. Yeah. Still, still are, um, but you got into race announcing just on, on a random whim. And so I'd like to hear how you kind of got started into race announcing because you're also as part of a team noisy That's right. uh, crew and, and with our friend, uh, Rudy Novotny. So how yeah. did, how did that whole entire process start for you? So fitness experts slash sport performance experts. So I've been, um, training athletes and lecturing, doing presenting for athletes forever. And I was actually, um, teaching clinics for run Disney for quite a while. Every time they had an event, they'd bring me and I would be part of their speaker series. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rudy as one of their race announcers would host a speaker series and introduce the next presenter type thing. And we became friends. We had a lot in common, great chemistry. And when I'd get off the stage, he kept, he kept saying, gosh, you're such a great presenter. You're such a great presenter. I say, Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. You're our only real presenter. We have people who talk, but we don't have anyone who's a real presenter. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. And he kept saying that. And finally I said, Rudy, thank you so much, but I don't really know what to do with this information anymore. He goes, I know what to do with it. I need a co-announcer for the Orange County Marathon in May, which was a few months later. Are you interested? And I just said, sure. I said, I've never done it before but I'd be willing to try. And of course I'd spent my entire career managing mass audiences. It's kind of what I do. So he connected me with Gary Kutcher, the race director who checked out my resume, watched me on TV. And we had a short conversation and he said, I'd love to have you come. And I was so happy to do it. And Rudy showed me the ropes where there are some specific ropes, you know, it's not just oh, yeah, doing the definitely. thing I always do. There's some, some real rhyme or reason to race announcing and managing those crowds and being a runner really helped. Cause I, you know, sometimes they'll bring in a newscaster or some DJ who's never run a race and you can tell, right. So being one of the people I think went a long way, but, um, 
anyways, uh, OC marathon Saturday was a kid's races and I scored a lot of points with the kids races. Cause I'm a lot of fun with the kids. And then the very next morning, uh, we had the OC marathon. We kicked off at maybe five 30 and then at six 15, we were kicking off the half marathon in about, I don't know, 15 corrals. And Rudy and I worked together and he yelled go for the full. And then, um, we, started the welcome spiel again as the half marathoners arrived and then he yelled go for the first wave of half marathoners and then he looked at me and he said okay it's all yours goodbye and he had to get in a car with the race director to head over to the finish line and I, so it was the first time in my entire career that I was I was frozen for a moment I looked at him and I was like <laughs> oh because there was 15,000 people behind me and he goes you're gonna be great and so I took a deep breath and I turned around and he was right. I did great. It was so much fun. And what, what you find as a race announcer is the people up in front, man, do we respect the speedsters, right? They work so hard and they accomplish things that I never could. I'm a lot slower than I look, but, um, the further back of the pack we go, the more fun the people are, they're, they're rowdy and, they're, they're there for the party. You know, they want oh, to yeah, dance, 100%. they want to whip it up. And, you know, that just speaks to me. So, um, so, so I had a great start line experience, launched the next nine, 10 corrals, went over to the finish line. And I don't know, within about an hour, the race director came back and said, Hey, are you available next year? We'd love to have you back. And so that was wonderful. And then within a few months, I was hired to announce a handful of other events and uh, so I do a ton around the country independently, um, but I do announce a big amount of races with Rudy Novotny and we are team noisy and uh, we, we love working together and we, we love a raucous time. You know, it, our, our races are different. So with trails, quite often it's a peaceful wood, woody setting with a guy with a bullhorn, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's the, that's the thing that, that a lot of runners don't really understand. I think in some degree, like the, the race announcer is the driving force of the race, right? They're going to, they're the ones that dictate the energy yeah. and how people are going to, how excited people are going to get at the beginning, how, how excited people are going to be to finish the race. And sometimes you can, yes, uh, to answer your question, sometimes it is just somebody with a bullhorn, just, you know, speaking like, Oh yeah, here's, here's the course. Here's what you need to know have at it. Right. Air but, horn. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and so I learned that a long time ago, I started doing, uh, as a race director, I started back in 2012 and that was kind of the, one of the first things that I learned from my mentor is like, Hey, listen, if you're, if you're going to do anything right at this event, at least get a good announcer, because great. If, if you've got a great, if you got a great event, but a bad announcer, it's not going to come off that well in, in the people's eyes, like they're not going to get excited. They're not, you know, they're not, they're, they might not want to come back. They might want to do another event because there was more excitement and energy at, at your, at, at somebody else's event. So one of the things that I was always told is, listen, just get yourself a really good race announcer. And the event kind of almost sells itself after that, because if, if somebody's like, Oh, should have been there. It was, you know, Fitz was so great on the, on the mic and so energetic. And, and so it's one of those things that, yes, we, as a, as a trail industry, I think we could definitely use some better announcers. Now I, I've been lucky enough to work with some really good ones over the last couple of years and, and have my current announcer now, Jim O'Hara, who's, who's here in, in San Diego area, which again is a prodigy of Rudy Novotny and sure. it, it definitely helps out. And it, again, it's something I don't think a lot of runners really get it. If they, if they're coming to the, especially if they're coming to their very first race, right? Right. If you're a first time runner, you really want to understand what the energy is all about. And, well, and the race. I think so. You know, I don't know if we're the driving force, but we definitely set the tone. You know, the second people arrive, you know, music goes a long way. And I've got a oh, race playlist that, you know, turns Los Angeles into a mosh pit at some point <laughs> in March, you know, but yeah, I want to make sure that everybody, when they get out of their car, they start hearing sound. They feel welcome. They feel exciting, excited. If they came alone, I want them to know they are no longer alone. They are part of a team. They're part of our family. We want them there. They are one of us, you know, because it's awkward. You show up and you feel like, oh, there's all these people and I don't know anybody. Well, we know you and we're happy you're here. 
you know, if you're nervous, I want to calm you down, especially with a lot of laughs. You know, we keep things light and sarcastic and funny. So people, I think, you know, naturally just start chilling out because they're having a good time. And then if you want to win the race or you want to PR, whatever it is, our job is also to pump you up. And before that start line, it's before we all go, it's our job to whip you into a frenzy. You know, we want that crowd up on their feet, jumping. Uh, last year at hosting the uh, Philadelphia Marathon, I, I don't think I've ever been in an atmosphere like that. Maybe a Gator football game versus FSU type thing, but the people in front started jumping, our elites, you know, they just jump, that's their thing. <laughs> so I bellowed, Philadelphia, it's time for jumping. And then it was like 13,000 people were all oh, jumping. That's so cool. going to knock down monuments. It was crazy. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you know, the race announcer I think is important up front. And then of course I speak for the race organization. When people come through the finish line, I want every last one of them, even the last one of them, to feel like they won the race. And if anyone goes home feeling ignored, then I failed. So that, that brings up uh, my next question is uh, what are some of what's, what's one of the coolest things you've seen from the last runner? Like, do you have a, like a crazy, like a crazy experience or story that the last runner of that race, because, you know, with the way we've always looked at it, I want the last runner to experience the finish line, like the yep. first runner, right? Absolutely. Like they, they, they get the same music, they've got the same energy, whether it's yep. just my staff and I hanging out and it's the sponsors, I still bring them over to the shoot and say, listen, let's cheer them on. This is the last runner. Let's bring them home. And one of the things that I'm kind of implementing into our races in 2021 is uh, doing a DFL uh, medal oh, for that last nice. runner. And just do something really cool, really big and be like, hey, listen, we know you got your last, but this is this is your prize for for being last. So, well, you know, what's interesting. I mean, our final finishers usually are pretty interesting characters, but that DFL medal, I, um, you know, as as a professional, I've always looked at these people and thought you did it. You went the same course. You went the same distance as our champion and, you know, pretty interesting. But in when I, I finished chemo this May, a month later, I did a Spartan obstacle course race, a 5K. And then two weeks later, I, I did a triathlon and I hyperventilated at least 50% of the way. I was sucking wind so bad. And then I was DFL on the bike. There was <laughs> the cop car coming behind me up this hill and I'm buckled over on the, uh, like on the ground, hyperventilating with, and he's got the lights going and I was DFL and I was definitely by far the most proud person of my accomplishment that day. I think, I think DFL quite often means something because our, our final finishers are often morbidly obese. They're often 90 years old. They often have some sort of injury or ailment. There's something that, you know, made them the grittiest person on our course. You know, they, they were pushing against the odds and I, I never was the last person until July. And I was elated. I mean, I didn't care. I just, I was like, ah, I just finished chemo. I just did a triathlon. I'm back to life. You know, it, it mattered. So yeah, get out, get a DFL medal. And you know, if somebody rejects it, that's their loss, but um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) <laughs> I like to make it fun for everybody. Yeah. What's uh, what's one of the coolest things or, or craziest things you've seen at the finish line as people are coming across or even, or heck, not even at the finish line, even at the start line? So I can say Los Angeles, we have a lot of uh, interesting characters and people come through the finish line. There's one dude who did the whole thing with a, a tuba. Like playing a tuba, dressed as what? Big Bird, you know. There's oh, just, that is that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's always that. I love the T Rexes. The T Rexes are everywhere. I had um, last year in Buffalo. There's a woman coming in. She might have been a third or fourth female to finish the marathon, and she had long, lean legs, beautiful swinging ponytail, and I'm welcoming her through. I'm on the shoot, and we have a big jumbotron so I can get the names from the shoot. Look, I have my hands up to my face like I'm holding a microphone. (laughs) But anyway, she runs by me, Susie Q. And as she gets by me, I realize, holy crap, she's like eight months pregnant. And so there's this photo on the cover of the Buffalo News or whatever, and it's her running by me and me just, I have this face (laughs) like, ah! 
my gosh. So that was pretty bonkers. I've seen people with no legs finish a race. I don't know how you do a marathon with no legs, but there they are with their two prosthetics, you know, it's just, and I will say that's one of the, some of the most inspirational stuff you'll see too, right? That's, that's the no excuses right there. No, which made me feel like cancer schmancer. I need to get my butt back in gear. I've got legs, you know, so I don't know. It's just, it's all very magical. I'm so fortunate to get to do what I do. Yeah, I, I, that's why I like, I can't say enough good things about the, about the running community, whether you're yeah. trail running or road running, like there's so many good experiences that get brought upon by being out at races and, and the friendships you make, right? Because yeah. I mean, you'd look at like, all the group, like rock and roll marathon series. Let's just call it that for right now as a road race, like the amount of social media groups that have been created because of that. And the amount of people that like, Hey, I'm going to this one. I'm going to that one. Are you going to go to, and for our races in both Colorado and California, from a trail perspective, like, Hey, I'm signed up for X, Y, and Z events. Are you going to be there? And it's, it's really cool to see the community getting together and wanting to run and race together. Right. And that's, again, it all goes back to, that's what I miss. And that's what I, that's why I love what I do. And I don't, I think I've heard you say this before too, is I don't consider what I do as work. I love being out at races. I love being in the community. I think it's an insult to what I do to call it work. And it's it's the reality of the situation, but it's that good. It's that good. So here people know that, um, I do a lot of finish line hugs, you know, I'll, I'll stand in my tall tower and say words, but then I always get down and, um, usually people want to come give me hugs or I want to hug them, whatever I, I, and I'll say that I do not interfere with the fast people coming through. I do not get in their way and say, stop on your PR, hug me. But <laughs> I do do a lot of finish line hugs, but I am so runner deprived right now that when I go back to work, it's going to be a kiss, a kissing booth. <laughs> We're going, we're going directly from hugs to French kissing at the finish line because I'm fair, fair warning to all the road racers listening to this, that, uh, if you're at an event with Fitz, be fair for That's a- right. Breathman's <laughs> I just miss them so much. Yeah. Um, let's get into this book. I, yeah. uh, as I told you before we started, I just finished this uh, over the weekend and I loved every minute of it. And as I told you, I, I listened to it on audible. Um, I've, I've learned over the years, uh, listening to memoirs or biographies that it's a lot, it's a lot cooler for me, at least to, to listen to the person's experience through that person versus reading it and trying to understand, you know, your thought process going through it. So it was really cool to listen to your, um, journey through everything. And, um, so thank you for, for sharing that first and foremost, one of the the big things that I found is if as interesting as the book was, I think the most important thing uh, that I found from it was the necessity to periodically always check yourself. That's right. Right? Squeeze your stuff. Yeah. And you've mentioned that plenty of times in the book you've, I've heard, you know, and YouTube videos and other podcasts you've done. That's, you know, a big thing you always talk about. And, and it's interesting to me. And I, I would love for you to share that story because you, um, you were negative for your mammogram, but then several weeks later, it, it was, it showed, it showed a lump. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, December, 2018 walked out of my annual mammogram with a clean bill of health, did that annual social media post and said, look at me, (laughs) I got healthy boobies. You should go find out if yours are too. And I've always felt as a personal, as a personally, and as a professional, I've always promoted uh, annual exam, self-exams, because I do believe in early detection. And my attitude was, if I just found one cancerous cell in my body, I want to know about it. I want to crush it. So December 2018, clean mammogram, hip, hip, hooray. And I've had radiologists go back and look at my scans. There was no cancer in December of 2018. Wow. Less than seven weeks later, I was at a race weekend in a hotel bathroom, rubbed my underboob because I had an itch and I found it. There was a very um, decisive lump that should not have been there. It felt like a bean. And this is the other important thing I did is I didn't dilly dally. I didn't put my head in the sand. I didn't cry to my mom or Google it. I picked up my phone instantly off the bathroom counter and I called my gyno, made the appointment. And so that was a Thursday, Monday, I had, uh, the gyno appointment, 
Thursday, I had the mammogram ultrasound. And mind you, uh, as you read in the book, I didn't tell anyone. I just thought, oh, this will be fine. You know, I knew I had breast cancer already, but I just thought I don't need to um, get anyone upset until I have a reason to. So yeah, I get, they see it on the mammogram. They see it on the ultrasound. They also see three hard swollen lymph nodes. And so within seven weeks, I went from no cancer to a sizey tumor with three hard swollen lymph nodes. At least three of them were infected. Um, It was on the move. It was eager to take me out. Had I waited till the following mammogram, the following year, you would be talking about me instead of to me no doubt. So um, I think a week and a half after that ultrasound, I started chemo and, and life wow. just spun out of control. It was crazy. So you started, that was December 8, uh, 2018. So you started, this was all pretty much Jan, like January, February, 2019, February right? is when I found, yeah, okay. February I found it. You were still, I mean, which I, which I think is amazing that you did. Um, and it shows just who you are from an individual, but you were still going and flying across the country doing races, doing announcing at races and going through chemo at the same time. And one of the things I got out of the book or one of the interesting stories I got was from the LA marathon. Yeah. Right. I mean, that was, was that your first, was that your first event back after my first race after chemo? It was, um, I think 10 days after my first round of chemo. Take me through that process of, of, uh, being at that race, going through chemo that first time. And as if I remember right, the, that's when your, your hair loss kind of started happening yeah. too, right? <laughs> Cause timing's everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, it was, I, of course I feared for my life. You know, I, I was, oh my gosh, my children, they were number one. And then I thought, oh, you know, dying would be bad. I wouldn't like that. And then of course you fear for your hair. That's silly, but it is what it is. Um, but yeah, so I have chemo Monday and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but what does happen is that three days later, my stomach explodes and I become violently ill and I stay that way for five solid months. But, um, Monday, a week after my first chemo, I go into, uh, my oncologist and say, listen, I got to get on a plane Friday to Los Los Angeles marathon. He goes, well, we need to get you on your feet. So I was thrown into this other cycle of getting IV fluids every single day or every single weekday for the next five and a half months because of race announcing. We had to do what it took to keep me functional. So um, I asked my doctor, you know, how long will it take for my hair to, when will my hair start falling out? He goes, probably 11 days after chemo and sure as hell he was right. So it was 11 days on a Thursday night. I'm brushing my two feet long waist length blonde hair. And, and then I see the difference between um, how much hair is coming out of my hairbrush. And I think, oh crap, this is no good. Cause I have to get on a plane tomorrow. And, you know, um, and I, and I was in hysterics. I was, you know, brave in many ways, but I also sobbed uncontrollably a whole heck of a lot because the, uh, the stress that comes as a result of cancer is unlike no other. So I decide, okay, I'm not going to brush my hair anymore. And then the hair just won't come out, right? I'm going to finger brush it. And, uh, I get through Friday that way. I get through Saturday, Saturday, I announced the, um, LA big 5k and the kids races. And so I was so sick, but this, this became the magical formula is even if I spent the entire night on the hotel bathroom floor, being a sick person, when my alarm went off, I'd put on my, my clothes and I'd go to my stage and the stage had magic powers. It was like someone flipped my on switch and I was fueled by runner generated go-go juice. And I got to be Fitz Kohler again. So I was very relieved announcing that race that, oh my gosh, I can do this and I can be fun and whatever sickness is kind of in the background. Um, But then that night I made the mistake of brushing my hair because it was a ratty mess. And then the hair was coming out again. I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I have to be, we have 25, 27,000 people the next day. So, um, and that was just athletes, forget the spectators, forget the TV coverage. So I get up in the morning and I'm just, I'm alone in my hotel bathroom, like a basket case, sobbing my little brains out. I go out to my stage and, um, you know, at the finish line where 
in Santa Monica, right off the pier. And we're 10 feet up in the air and the wind is blowing vigorously. And my hair is coming out everywhere. We had this big black stage and it was coated with Fitz hair. And so I wore my sunglasses. And um, if I was on the microphone, I was genuinely joyful, you know, welcoming people with delight and the the joy in my voice was real but the second I'd pull back from the microphone or take a pause I would look down and I would just start sobbing I was just I, when you say basket case that was me I operated on all you know cylinders when it came to work but poor Rudy poor Rudy was constantly trying to sweep the hair off the stage <laughs> so it wouldn't freak me out and Oh, and then when we, uh, and then, I don't know, it's maybe noon and I'm sick of it now. All the hair is coming out and I'm thinking, I just got to get this over with. And so then I think I'm going to call a stylist, uh, LA salon. Hey, come over to Santa Monica Pier and shave my head, please. Um, But my daughter, who was 16 at the time, she also had the long blonde hair. And for some reason, that was a, a really sweet connection for her. And she made me promise not to shave my head without her. So that's the only reason I also didn't get a shave on that stage. And I'm not sure how the LA Marathon folks would have felt about their their noisy announcer shaving her head on their finish line stage, but I had had it. That was a rough and interesting day. However, if I could do it again, I wouldn't be anywhere else because how blessed was I while having this traumatic experience to also be engulfed in the joy an accomplishment of so many other people. It just, uh, it was, it was, it was strange, but you know, it's part of my life right now, part of my history. Yeah, exactly. Um, again, like, and I can <laughs> side note, I can totally see Rudy up there sweeping hair. <laughs> <laughs> And he was dancing, he was doing anything he could to try to make me laugh. Room in one hand, Mike in the other, just. (laughs) So awful, so awful. But we we did it. We did it as a team. I was fortunate to have him by my side. And one of the interesting things, as as chemo progressed, as you got into more and more chemo and and continued to do the races, what I thought was really cool, uh, just from the way the race directors would help you out, is they would help you find hydration stations. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, how did, how does that work out? I mean, cause as you're, do they bring somebody to, to your hotel, they bring somebody Sometimes. to the event or did you have to just go to, to the shop and, and both <laughs> because both it's, them. it's still weird. And you mentioned this in the book, like it's still weird to me that they actually have uh, salons or studios or businesses so that are, that are set up just for hydration. Yeah. And I actually, I mean, I got to tell you, I think it's kind of a scam. Regular people go, they have these saline drips called like the skinny drip. As a fitness expert, I can tell you, you're not going to get skinny based off some saline infusion in a hydration spa. But um, to my great fortune, they exist. So yeah, I, on quite a few occasions, I had to reach out to my race director and say, okay, I've got the weirdest request for you ever. I'm so sorry. I know you're arranging for this massive event next weekend, but I need some IV fluids. (laughs) you know, I'm going to be there. I'm going to perform as expected, (laughs) but this will go a long way. So, you know, in OC, I went to a hydration salon and the race director, um, and he got a comp. They were charging 150, 200 bucks for these drips. So, um, so he just gave them a booth at the expo for me. So they had a booth and then I got to go get IV fluids a couple times. And then in Buffalo, we had the nurse come to my hotel room so it just was the twilight zone. Who lives like this, right? And yeah. then I was getting IV fluids because I desperately needed them. But then I was running up and down the finish line like an absolute yo-yo. And that's that's uh, magical. How does that happen, right? <laughs> well, maybe that's how they sell the hydration salons. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. <laughs> And then, and then my mom was always, you know, panicked. Oh my gosh, you're traveling. What happens if you get sick or whatever? And I kept saying, mom, I have one of the only careers in the world where there's always a medical tent right behind my desk, you know, or an ambulance. I was in great shape. If I would have wiped out, which I almost did once, I almost toppled down in Denver um, because it was Denver and how rude of it to be a mile up in the, in the sky yeah, right? and hundred <laughs> degrees, but you know, I would have been tended to right away. So yeah, race announcing, it's perfect for me. So did you feel like with the, with the hydration stuff, because you, you, a lot of times you're flying, like you said, you're flying to Colorado, you're flying to LA, yeah. um, but you're also flying to like East coast 
as well. Did you have, have that same feeling of, Hey, I need, it's, it's a shorter Everywhere. flight, but I still need the hydration. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just needed it at home. So the difference for me was, is it didn't stop me from being sick, but it stopped me from being dehydrated, which made me a fall risk, which made me dizzy. I mean, mm. the first weekend I was sick, the first week I was sick, I didn't tell my doctor because I thought, well, I'm on chemo. Of course I'm supposed to be sick. Why would I bother him? He had given me his cell phone, his email address. And I just like a very dumb person thought I'm supposed to be this sick. Why would I say something? And then finally, when I, when I really thought, oh man, I'm going to hit the floor. I tech, I emailed him and he was like, ding dong. <laughs> <I'm on it. laughs> I'll, I'll get you fluids, but you know, it's a learning process. Nobody knows how to have cancer or do cancer treatment yeah. until they have it. Right. You figure yeah. it out. One of the, the, another really cool point in the book, and it's, again, this call comes back to the community itself is everything that the, that runners and race directors and even spectators did for you, yeah. knowing that you were going to be at the event, like, you know, you, you talk about how people would show up in, you know, fit strong or team, team fits or, yeah. you know, fly, you know, somebody, you know, stopped at what the cool story was, is he said was a woman stopped at a flower shop. Yes. midway through the race. Right. Yes. And, and, and brought flowers to you. And I was like, that is amazing. Like who, <laughs> who, <laughs> yeah, who that, that? Was, that was Connie Cosberg. And it's funny because that happened in 2019. So a year and a half ago, I actually referenced her in the book. I, uh, you know what, as I was writing the book, I went to lunch with her and I told her, cause I thought maybe her husband had been waiting along the finish line shoot and just passed her the flower. She goes, no, it was at like mile 20. I saw the flower guy on the side of the road and I thought I'd buy them for you. And I just thought, <laughs> what? You ran six miles holding flowers for me. But yeah, you know, it's, it was very humbling. So my job I think is to be the caretaker. You know, I, I'm, I'm almost like the race mom. I'm supposed to make people have fun and, you know, make sure they get what they need and have a good time. And um, I take care of other people. It was a very humbling experience when people started showing up with drinks for me or snacks for me or blankets or depending on the weather runners would show up and say hey I brought you an extra blanket or a poncho or whatever it was it just um you know that's who the running community is they can't help themselves there were there were a lot of gifts and you know I'm one of those people where I never want anyone to spend any money on me that's not necessary you know I appreciate the love and I can feel the love you don't have to do that but um but yeah they were very generous and thoughtful with trinkets and other things but yeah when they showed up with snacks and drinks and those things came in handy because I'm a smart person I have a master's degree but I all I I didn't travel with the snacks I like to eat. I mean, I'd made some really stupid errors and um, it really helped out. It really saved my day when someone showed up with some yogurt or whatever it was, you know? So thank you. Thank you to whoever's listening who who contributed. Um, You know, the, the thing that I, uh, that I took away from, from the book as well was the perspective that you kept throughout, throughout the book. And I, I, it really hit me. Uh, you mentioned a couple of times in the book, the first time you mentioned it was when you, I think you were in the grocery store and, and you had just started chemo, but you saw there was a little girl. So right? that actually, that happened 10 years ago. I was in the grocery oh, store, okay. 10 items or less. And I got stuck behind a 95,000 year old woman writing a check for her 700 items. And I was fairly annoyed. I didn't say anything, but I just felt annoyed. And then I looked next door in the aisle next to me and there was a beautiful little shiny snow white dress and the little girl wearing it had a bald head. And I thought, oh my gosh, that poor family, that poor child, those poor parents, that's got to be horrible. And if I'm so fortunate to escape any of those fates and I will never complain again, period, end of story. And I've held true to that. And so, you know, even, uh, so I used to always say, it's not cancer. That was kind of my little mantra. When things would go wrong, I'd go, meh, it's not cancer. We'll get over it. And then all of a sudden it was cancer. And I still couldn't have a pity party because then I thought, well, I'm not a little kid with cancer and it's not my kid with cancer. And that is really something to be horrified about. And fortunately for me, it wasn't one of the more typically lethal forms of cancer. So again, I just thought... I'm not going to bitch and moan. Um, I'm just going to be gritty and get through it and suck it up. There's so many worse things that could have happened to me than breast cancer. Breast cancer was horrible. The treatment for it felt horrible, but 
um, there still could have been so many worse situations. So yeah, perspective, man, it's a really good way to keep a smile on your face. Yeah. Like I said, I loved how you carried that throughout. And it's always about uh, taking a look at what's, what's good in the world, right. Versus what's, what's going to be. And it's definitely encouraging. And what people should look at is look at, look at where the good is versus always trying to focus on you know the bad things. And and that's one of you know my mantras too, is live victorious every day. Nice. There's, a, there's always going to be something that's that you can look at during your day to be, okay, this is a good day. Like, Hey, I just woke up this morning. I got out of bed, you know? And so that's, and I, I loved it. It kind of falls in line with, you know, the, my mentality. Again, it's, it was a great book. And I, I thank you so much for sharing your story. And, and if, and for those who haven't had a chance to, to listen to it or even read it yet. Um, and it's my are, noisy cancer comeback. It is. Yes. And where, so you can find it on audible, obviously, cause I, I, that's where I listen to it, but where can you find it as a, as a hard book, as a hard copy or even soft copy? That's right. So it's available hardcover, paperback, audiobook, and ebook, um, and all major retailers. So you could go wherever your favorite place is to buy a book and just search my noisy cancer comeback or Fitz Kohler and you'll find it. Um, I prefer when people buy the hardcovers on fitness.com. That's my site, F I T Z N E S S. If you use the code survivor, you'll get free shipping. But all of those books sold off my site come autographed and I will make them out to you if you want to purchase it for your favorite cancer patient or survivor, which, which I love. That's one of the things that makes me so happy. I mean, the running community has been, um, uh, they've been great with my book and really enjoyed it. And it's, you know, we go behind the scenes and running community, which makes a lot of sense, but it really makes me happy to know that people are buying it for their newly diagnosed friend, whether it's brain, colon, ovarian cancer. It doesn't matter because there's all these universal themes, but, um, but yeah, so fitness.com, they come signed. I will autograph it to whoever you tell me to. And it comes with a fun little gift with purchase. It's a big sticker that says I can do hard things. And, um, I encourage my folks, put it on the back of your phone or on your water bottle, wherever you need a little reminder that, you know, you can do hard things. That became my mantra while, I was doing things that scared the bejesus out of me and I had to do a lot, but that, that little voice inside of my head told me that I could, and she was right. Again, that is fitzness.com, F-I-T-Z-N-E-S-S.com to get your book. You also have a podcast, The yeah. Fitness Show, right? So if you want to yes, listen to, to more of uh, her fitness uh, stories and, and information, uh, jump on that. Again, if you want to, if you're, if you happen to be in the school system and you want to learn more about the morning mile, it's morningmile.com. Um, so go ahead and check that out as well. But uh, Fitz, thank you so much for, for joining me today and, and sharing your story. And, and hopefully one of these days uh, we'll get you out to, to one of our trail races and, ah. and have you there. Now I will say for the last thing is I live in Carlsbad and yeah. I actually live up the street from the start line of the Carlsbad marathon. So I can actually hear you and Rudy in the mornings when you is guys, that's true. It's a hundred percent true. hundred percent. I literally live a quarter mile from the start line. And so <laughs> now is that the best way to work to best way to wake up ever? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yes. I <laughs> <laughs> you can just show up at your door anytime you want. I know. Right. <laughs> Good morning, Jeff. Yeah. One point fits Kohler. That's right. <laughs> if you listen to the audiobook, you'll get that. So um, again, thanks, Fitz. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Thanks everyone for joining me on the Trail Life Podcast. That was my special guest, Fitz Kohler. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. And if you get a chance, my noisy cancer comeback at fitzness.com, F-I-T-Z-N-E-S-S.com. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you on the trails real soon. Mm-hmm.